0: Well, hey, good morning, everybody. How are you? Yeah, isn't it beautiful outside? Man, we were driving up this morning, and the mountain was there in the background with nothing but blue sky behind it. That was absolutely amazing. It's covered in snow right now, so it's really, really pretty. Love looking at that. Well. Uh, My name is Nathan Harris. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at Celebration Center. So welcome. Thank you for making us part of your Sunday morning. We know that that's important and we know that God wants to do some stuff in all of us today. So thank you for being part of this and for being here. Uh, We're currently in a series called Better Together and this series is based on one of our core values, which happens to be called Better Together. Here's how we put it here at Celebration Center. People matter to God. So we pursue authentic relationships, healthy families, ministry in teams, and we do life with one another in small groups. This is a value for us. And a value is something that guides what we do and how we do what we do. It determines where we go, what directions we take. We want to be able to measure everything we do by, in part, With this value? Is it relational? Because that's what better together is all about. It's about being relational together. As a matter of fact, uh, our big idea for this series is that we are better together when we grow whole and healthy relationships. That's how we get better together. We grow these whole, healthy relationships. If you weren't able to be with us last week, I encourage you, go to our website, ccpwallop.com. You can click on the sermon podcast link there, and you can listen to last week's message. It's important because in that message, we talked about why better together is necessary, why it's meaningful for us as human beings and important for us here at Celebration Center, and what we found is that God created us as a community. That means that part of what it means to be human is to be in community. We don't add community to our lives. We are community. God created us. He created humankind. He didn't just create one person in isolation of other people. He created humanity. And he said, now let's put humanity to work. So we were created as a community for a purpose. And that purpose is to join in relationship with God and with other people as we carry out God's plan in and for the world. So um, I encourage you to check that out if you weren't able to hear that. This morning what we're going to do is we're going to begin looking at the how. How do we live better together? How do we grow healthy, whole Relationships. So here's the main thing that I want you to pay attention to this morning, and it's on your notes. If you're taking uh, notes, you can fill this in. Love is the environment where we grow whole and healthy relationships. Love is the environment where we grow whole and healthy relationships. Have you ever tried to cook something only to discover that you didn't have the main ingredient? Nobody else has ever done anything like that. I mean, I've gone to the freezer before thinking, man, I'm going to make me a steak. And, oh, I've got the grill all fired up. I'm ready to go. I open up the freezer. I don't have a steak. That, that's a little bit of a letdown. Love is that main ingredient in whole and healthy relationships. And so it's, it's the environment. It's, it's the place where this grows well. The Apostle Paul talked all about this. And in, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go ahead and turn there. 1 Corinthians 13, and we are going to read the whole chapter. It's a lot less daunting than it sounds because it's only 13 verses long. All right, so we're going we're to read it and we'll talk about it. But Paul talks about this in this particular chapter. And I realize that as soon as I said 1 Corinthians 13, a lot of you probably like, oh, great. It's a wedding message 1 Corinthians 13 is about way more than weddings. As a matter of fact, it's not even primarily about weddings and marriage. Did you know that? It is written to a bunch of people who are not living in whole and healthy relationships. And Paul says, knock it off. I got a better way of life for you. I've got something better that you can do. And so he, he writes this. And so these words are powerful for our situation, whatever situation we are in. Whether it is in a marriage, yes, it's applicable there, but also here in our community of, of, of faith and in and, and the, the friendships that we make here and in the ministries that we try to accomplish, what Paul says here has everything to do with everything we do, okay? So at the, at the time Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, the church itself was about three years old. Not It was somewhere around there, give or take. So it was still very young, all right? It was a young church. Have you ever noticed young people doing things that aren't necessary? I see this in my kids all the time, all right? My kids are young. I've got a five-year-old who often makes young people decisions (laughs) that don't turn out too well, okay? We've all seen that kind of thing. But on top of that, the church in Corinth was set in the middle of a very metropolitan area. Corinth, was a city, it was kind of a meeting place. It was, it was, you had ships coming in from all kinds of places. You had overland routes coming in to Corinth. And so there were a lot of different ideas happening there. There was a lot of different cultures happening there. There were a lot of different belief systems that all converged in Corinth. And part of what became very important in the city in general was social status. Social status was very important. Does that sound familiar? Anybody identify with that? I mean, that's kind of important in our culture too, right? So the drive for many people in Corinth was how to become more important. How do I become more important? How do I get elevated? And honestly, I don't really care about what anybody else is doing. I just want to get better. I want to look more important so what they would do is they would make heroes out of these out of speakers people would come to these open air forum areas and they would stand up on their kind of little soapbox like this, and they would start talking and philosophizing and all kinds of stuff and just saying things out to the crowd and they'd start getting this, this following the crowd is cheering for them. Well, pretty soon, somebody on the other side of the open air forum would go and stand up. He'd stand up there and he'd start philosophizing and, and kind of shouting things at, at the, the, the first speaker and all of this and it was getting wild and crazy. I've got a picture here. It was probably a little bit something like this. All right, you got, you got your Packer fans, you got your Viking fans, and you got the, the crazy man without a shirt on, and it's just nuts. This is probably a fairly good representation of what this kind of situation was like in the city of Corinth. It was their version of Sunday night football, and it was crazy. All right? It was noisy. But this also crept into the church What we see at the beginning of of the book of 1 Corinthians is that Paul begins to address people who have been making heroes, not out of these famous orators, these, these speech makers, but out of apostles. And they're elevating some apostles over other apostles and they're measuring each other over which apostle do you follow? Who baptized you? Oh, look at me. I'm so good. That's what they were doing. But also in the city of Corinth, they, they wanted to look at what, what would make them stand out above others. And in the church, this, this aspect also came in to the church. And, and what it looked like was a social hierarchy where there were a lot of people who were left out of what, what they called the love feast. It, it was the Lord's table. It was their communion time. So you had some people who were being able, based on their status, to be able to take communion and others who were being left out. They were actually being turned away even though they were all part of the body. And then another thing they did was they elevated some spiritual gifts over other spiritual gifts. Especially the gift of tongues. And, and what they were, their thought in this was that the ones who had these gifts were more spiritual than the people who didn't. So the values of the surrounding culture had been brought into the church. And Paul's response to all of this we find in 1 Corinthians 13. So I'm gonna pick it up in verse one and I'm reading from the NIV. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I am an empty noise, he says. One uh, Eugene Peterson in The Message said, I'm, I'm just the sound of a rusty gate. Don't judge me. Has anybody here ever seen Dumb and Dumber? <laughs> yeah. There's that scene, they're in the van, and, and Lloyd says, hey, you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? I'm not going to make it because it would actually make your ears bleed, but it, it's just awful. And he goes on for minutes with this, right? That that's what Paul's talking about. It's just this empty noise that makes no sense. It's meaningless without love. It's meaningless. He says, "If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love." And this "have love" here doesn't mean. That, that I'm even necessarily perfect at it. It's just talking about acting in a way that is loving, where it's the basis, it's, it's my core. But I don't have love, then I am nothing. These things, they, they don't mean anything, he says. Verse three, if I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Nothing. Are you seeing a pattern here? Now, I want you to notice Paul never says that gifts and actions are bad. He never says that. As a matter of fact, he started the book of 1 Corinthians, or what we have is the letter of 1 Corinthians, with the statement that you guys have been given these things by God and you should be operating in them. You need to be doing these things. He's correcting a way of life right now. Okay? Okay? He simply says that without love, all of these things are meaningless. Don't raise your hand, but for anybody here who is married, have you ever had your spouse say, I love you, but their actions aren't necessarily lining up with that statement? Okay? Without actual love, the statement becomes meaningless without love at the core, at the very center of us. All of the spiritual gifts in the world, all of the the really cool self, these actions that we can possibly take, they ultimately are devoid of meaning because they aren't rooted and grounded in love. And this is where the, the Corinthian version of, of their spirituality had gotten them. So they, instead, they were left with pride, status, and rivalry. And Paul tells them and us that the true mark of how spiritual we are isn't the gifts we do or don't have, because here's the deal. God is the gift giver. It's up to him. He gets to pick. He gets to choose which ones he gives me and which ones he doesn't. Okay. I have no control over that. Instead, the mark of being spiritual is that we love each other. That's the measuring stick. That is what shows that we actually are God's kids. So that's the first thing on your outline if you're taking notes. Number one, love defines us as God's children. It's love that defines us as God's children. Jesus made this very clear in John chapter 13, verse 35. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you compete with one another, nope. If you show each other up, nope. If you do better than somebody else, nope. If you love one another, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. The apostle John made this point clear in 1 John chapter 2 verse 10. He says, "Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light." That's, that's shorthand for you've got a relationship with God. You're you're actually one of God's kids. And then he goes on and says, "And there is nothing in them to make them stumble." It's love that defines us as God's kids. It's love that is the measuring stick of how spiritual or unspiritual we are, how far we have progressed in love. It's nothing else. And even if we're not in the same situation as the Corinthian church, in elevating ourselves on the basis of what God has given us, we do still have hierarchies in our own mind as to what makes us more special, right? You don't have to uh, answer out loud, but what scale do you use to measure your status with God? Is it success in your job? Is it having the perfect family or at least the appearance of it? Is it looking good in front of other people? Is it having really cool stuff? What is it for you that you use to determine how good you are with God? If we use anything other than a character defined by love, we're missing the mark because love is what defines us as God's children. It is the measuring stick. Jesus said so. So what does this love look like? If love is the measuring stick, what does it actually look like to love? Because let's face it, we've, we say, oh man, I love that ice cream, or I love that team, or I mean, there's all kinds of things that we love, right? but what does the love look like that Paul is talking about? Number two on your outline, love looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. When my son Caleb was about four years old, he got all into Kung Fu Panda. It was pretty epic and amazing. He got to where he could... You know how kids are. They see a movie enough times, and they're repeating it. They're t- calling it back to you. Well, kind of like I did with Dumb and Dumber, I guess a little bit. But they're 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 talking about it. They're all into it. Caleb, I remember it was around Christmas time, and we had bought him this Fisher Price uh, Little People Nativity set, and it was really cool. We thought, oh, this is great. We can he can play with it. It's hands on, all that kind of thing. Well, you know what it became? It became Kung Fu Panda Battleground. Okay. I think the camel just about kicked everybody's hiney. So Caleb acted out Kung Fu Panda with this thing. He, he was quoting the, the, the movie to me all of the time. He even came to me and said, Daddy, call me the dragon warrior. He took his drumsticks and he started using them as nunchucks. That was a little bit scary. But the point is, is that he began emulating this thing that he saw. He started acting it out, and Paul gives the Corinthians a very vivid picture of what love looks like, and he tells them, look like this. Look at this picture. Do this. If you do this, then you are loving. And this is verses 4 through 7 in chapter 13. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. In other words, there's nothing beneath love. You ever experience somebody who just goes the extra mile for you? It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Paul uses the Corinthian situation here to describe for them what love is and what love isn't. And he basically says, okay, yeah, you see what you're doing? That's not love. And you know everything you're not doing? That is love. So let's take those things and let's swap them. That's what he says. Let's rearrange them. Let's start doing the things that are love and stop doing the things that are not. Now, even though this list of what love is and isn't is is tailored to the Corinthians, it's still a pretty good list for us to look at. It's still important. And I want to focus on a few of these things. First of all, patience. Who likes to be patient? I see no hands are being raised here, including mine. We want it now, right? Right? We want to get it now. Think about it. We've, we've, we've got our smartphones. I've got the Amazon app on my phone. If I'm sitting somewhere and I see a book that I, I really want, I can just open that up and I can sit by right, right then and there. And, and living in this area, uh, for a lot of them, I can have them the next day. Maybe that afternoon. <laughs> right? We don't like patience. But Paul says love is patient. In the context of community, patience has all to do with forbearance. Sorry, my mic's falling off. Patience has all to do with forbearance, which is putting up with other people, not like, oh my gosh, why do I have to do this again? That's not forbearance. That's called being impatient. I have perfected that to an art. Okay, I need Jesus. Forbearance is when we make space for other people in their stuff, in their issues, and we don't hold it against them. We we say, you know what, I'm not writing you off because of this. A great picture of, of, of this patience is Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Ugh, love is patient. Kindness is all about doing for others what they can't do for themselves. It's an action and it's outwardly focused. Have you ever had somebody do something for you that you couldn't do for yourself? Maybe you were stuck in a situation. I remember one time I came home and my daughter, Abigail, who was probably oh a year, year and a half, something like that. Let's just say I call her spider monkey for a reason. This girl, I came into her room on this particular day and I discovered her clinging to the front of her dresser off the ground. She's just hanging on there. And she's getting really scared because she can't figure out how to get herself down. So I do what every good dad does first, I take a picture for Facebook. (laughs) And then I go and I take her off of there because she can't do it herself. I get her down kindness, love is kind, doing for others what they can't do for themselves. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. There's, uh, I love classic movies. There's an older one with John Wayne called, uh, I think it's The Quiet Man. Uh, it takes place in Ireland and there's this one character in there who is constantly, he's got his little helper with him and he's, he's got this little black book and he turns to his, his helper and he says, put his name in it. So the guy writes down his name. He says, now, draw a line through his name. <laughs> he's keeping a record of all of these wrongs. He's, he's thinking of ways to, to get even and to let other people know, hey, I'm, I'm, not only am I better than you, but I'm gonna get you for this. Love keeps no record of wrongs. As a matter of fact, love is willing To be wronged. Love is willing to be wronged. Love goes into situations and says, I am for you. And it weathers the storms with the patience that we talked about that leaves space for somebody else, all while acting in kindness toward people who can't do for themselves. In short, love looks like Jesus. And anyone who is going to be part of God's family needs to look like Jesus. If love is the measuring line and love looks like Jesus then guess where our sights are set? It's Jesus. We are called to look like Jesus. But why is this important? Why all the fuss? Verses 8 through 13. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. He's he's starting to go through the gifts here, the the very gifts that that the church is elevating. He says, prophecies are going to come to an end. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, in other words, when God is finally revealing everything that he's driving the entire world to, when the end is finally made clear, what is in part disappears. Because it was it was merely a bridge to get there in the first place. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish, or I put the ways of childhood behind me. He's talking about... Maturing. He's talking about being mature. Not sometime in the future, but now. Becoming mature in the here and the now. And he's talking about this in the context of love. He's talking about growing in love. Becoming mature in love. He says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Cor- Corinth was known for its mirror Uh, production, but the mirrors that they produced weren't the greatest. They weren't like the mirrors that we have. The closest thing that we probably have to what, you know, in comparison to the mirrors would be something like looking at a photograph, even though it's clear. You look at a photograph of somebody and you might get to know a little bit of their facial structure depending on how much has been photoshopped, right? (laughs) But you don't know what's deep inside them by just looking at a photo, do you? You are seeing a person indirectly at that point. You're not seeing what's deep inside with the hopes, with the fears, with the dreams. You don't know that stuff until you come into personal, intimate contact with them. And Paul says, for now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. He's not just talking about the sweet by and by someday. He's talking about as we are maturing in love, we know as we are fully known. Verse 13, this is key. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. In this passage, Paul continues to speak to the Corinthians' false sense of spirituality defined by what cool things they've received by God or from God, excuse me, by pointing them and us to what really matters. A life in an, characterized by an ever-growing love. The way we love God the way we love others as pictured by God loving us in Jesus Christ. And then demonstrating that love that has no expiration date. It doesn't end. And that's number three on our outline. Love is our future. It's actually our future. Love is our future. Um, I love milk. So much so i've been called a bucket calf from time to time. I just there's nothing like a nice, cold glass of milk to me i just i I thoroughly enjoy that. okay. I remember one time it was a Sunday afternoon. My mom was uh in the habit at that point of making really big Sunday meals, we were sitting down for this oh my mouth is beginning to water, just thinking about it, but this tasty roast beef. Meal with potatoes and all kinds of stuff. Don't lose me. Stay here, please. <laughs> and, and and I sat down and I began eating it. And as I, I took a few bites and I'm chewing away and, and I reach for my ice-cold glass of milk and I pick it up and I put it to my lips and I start guzzling. And about the second swig in, the sour hit. The milk had turned... <laughs> It was not yummy. Okay? Love, unlike the milk I was drinking, does not expire. It doesn't expire. Not now, not ever. As one pastor has said, love is our destiny. It's not just a duty that we do, it's not like, hey, I've got to do my three good deeds of the day. It's our destiny. It's what we're heading toward because guess what? Love is, so to speak, the language of heaven. Love is the language of heaven. What that means is that even after Jesus returns and all of life is sorted out and we are made like Jesus because we see him face to face, love will continue even past then. Love has no end. We will continue to love God and other people for eternity. And you and I are called to live this love out, to practice it, to learn the nuances of of speaking this language in preparation for the day that Jesus returns and sets all things right. But how do we get more proficient at it? Like I don't know about you, but when I read the the stuff in 1 Corinthians 13 and I see what love is and what love isn't, and I see things like patience and kindness, and I see things like is not easily angered, keeps no records of wrong, I'm not gonna ask you guys to raise your hands or anything, but I know for me that there's a lot on that list that's frankly very difficult. This isn't about just trying harder. This is about beginning to practice some things that actually begin to change our, the, the makeup of our minds, our physical brains, so that we form new habits. And, and this actually becomes second nature. My kids were involved in Awana. For those of you who don't know what, what Awana is, it's, it's a kids ministry program. Usually happens uh, you know, during the middle of the week or whatever. But a big part of Awana is uh, memorizing verses out of the Bible. And so they get awards for, for the more verses that, that they, they memorize. And so my kids, for both of them, starting at, at three and four years old, we got them into Awana. And the way that we would begin to teach my kids these lessons, because they couldn't read, they needed mom and dad's help. So what we did, the thing that we did that I loved, was that we would take the verses and we'd put them to a tune. We'd kind of make up a song with the verse. And we'd sing it to them. And we'd sing it to them some more. And we'd sing it over and over and over until they, they started to pick up on the tune. And they're starting to sing the tune. And then they're starting to put some of the words to it. And it's a little bit stilted and, and it's, it's halting and it's not very good because there's some words that they don't understand. And so they're yelling at some points and they're mumbling at others. And, and they're just not singing anything at other points. But the more that they did this, they began to learn the verses more and more and more until finally they were the ones singing to us. Okay, that's how we knew that they, they, that they got this. They were singing the verses back to us. And I think this is a pretty good picture of what you and I can do to learn to speak the language of love. We hold the picture of love in front of ourselves so that we have a constant reminder of what love looks like. We got to hold that picture up in front of ourselves. And then we begin, stilted and haltingly and certainly imperfectly at first, to do what love does. Kind of like when my kids, my my daughter wants to help me clean the house. She starts to use the broom. She's not very good at it, but she's beginning to practice it. And as we do that, we we begin to do what love does over and over so that our physical brains are rearranged. We, we're, we're creating new pathways so that love becomes second nature whereas one, at one point it was foreign to us, and, and we do this all in the context of community. We learn to implement love and to live it out within the context of the Christian community we, here we call Celebration Center. So to speak, we're singing love back and forth to each other. We're helping each other to practice it. When somebody is falling down and we see that they're not, that they're not necessarily going to make it on their own, we say, no, I'm with you. Let's go together. Let's do this together. We help one another. John, I want to go ahead and have you come back up. Love is the environment where we grow whole, healthy relationships. It's the environment. It is that necessary ingredient that we cannot do without. Because nothing else that we do matters without it. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 through 10. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. In other words, you're not going to be able to pull the wool over God's eyes. You're not going to be able to escape this. He says, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh. In other words, whoever sows to please the kingdom of this world and the things that mark this world will reap destruction. Why? Because God is a big meanie? No, because that's the product of those things. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, whoever sows to please the kingdom of God, who's living according to the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. This is a principle. We cannot escape this. Paul says, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. You're not going to get out of this. And then he goes on in verse 9. He says, Let us not become weary in doing Good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's not give up because at the proper time, I don't know when that is. as we keep at it, as we persevere in love, in, in practicing love as individuals, as a community, then we're gonna reap it. It's going to happen. On the bottom of your sermon outline, there are three blanks. And I wanted for our response time today to give you some time to think about this. And I wanna encourage you To think sincerely about it. If you don't have the card, it's okay. You can write this down on a scratch piece of paper. Number one Who is someone you need to forgive? Who is somebody you need to forgive? Chances are that person came right to mind. We don't typically have a hard time thinking about the people who wronged us, do we? Who do you need to forgive? Write that down and pray with me, Father, I lift this person to you. I lift this situation to you i god this this hurts and and I, I know that we're not dismissing the hurt, but I know also that you have forgiven me, so I want to forgive because that that's part of what love does. It forgives. so help me to do that. Help me to do that in the the days, in the months, even in the years to come. Maybe I have to do it every day. Maybe it's gotta be every hour or maybe even just moment by moment. Help me to choose to forgive, to not hold against this person. Number two on there. Who can you serve? We're talking about practicing love. Who can you serve? Jesus in John 13 said, As I have loved you, what? You go and love others. As I have, and his his message was, as I have served you, as I have washed your feet, as I have gotten down and not let anything be too beneath me, you go and do the same. Who can you serve? If you're not sure, I assure you, we have ministry teams here. I can, get you, I can help get you plugged in. You can begin to serve. Who is it, though, that you need to serve? Let's pray. Jesus, we know that you are the servant king. And we know that being part of your kingdom means that we become like you, and so we want to become servants. Not servants of ourselves, but servants of the people around us. So help us to identify those people and to love others in serving. Number three, who can you be praying for? Now, this one's a little bit trickier because I'm gonna qualify it a little bit. It's good that we pray for people that we love. It's good that we pray for people who love us. And I'm not saying to stop doing that, but who is somebody Maybe it's that person that you need to forgive. Because when we pray, we are practicing being on somebody else's side. We're practicing being for somebody else. And that's tough, isn't it? That's hard. But who can you be praying for? Let's pray. Father, as Jesus prayed from the cross for the very people who were his executioners, God, we know that you want us to pray for and to love our enemies. That this isn't some just throwaway action, but it's the very heart of what you even came to do, which was to seek and to save the lost. People who are shaking their fists at you, thinking that they had a better way of doing life. God, help us to love others through prayer. Consistent prayer. Praying for their benefit, for their good, and not their harm. Maybe you're here today and you have not yet begun your life as a Christ follower, but you you like what you're hearing. You like what you're hearing about the kingdom and about God, and, and you want to join in. I'm going to say a prayer, and just make this your own. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just make this prayer your own. Jesus, I want what you've got. I want to be part of your family. I want to be measured by love, not by stuff or by accomplishments or anything else. I want to be measured by love. I want to be your child. Make me that today, I pray. Lord, for anybody who made that prayer their own, just be with them today. Let them know your presence. Let them experience your goodness And help all of us, Lord, to make love the center of what we do. And to practice this over and over and over. And to encourage one another in it. Because this is the work you have called us to. In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys, what if we did this all together? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking for perfection. I'm asking for a direction. <laughs> What if we all headed out in the same direction together? What might life be like? I want to leave you with this from the Apostle Paul, then we'll be done. Galatians chapter 6 verses 15 through 16. I'm kind of adapting it, but it says neither possessions nor positions nor status nor anything else means anything. What counts is the new creation lived in love. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the people of God. You guys, thank you. Thank you for being here. Let's make love the center of our actions. Um, That wraps up our service time for today.